everybody. This is Jen Nelson, and this is From Cloud to Cab. In today's episode, we're going to be featuring a farmer panel that was recorded at the Planting Green Soil Health Field Day on August 20th in Laurel, Delaware. Planting Green is uh, kind of an up-and-coming soil health management strategy um, where your cash crop is planted into a living cover crop, and then it's terminated afterwards either with an herbicide or by rolling it or crimping it. The three farmers that were featured on the panel were Blaine Hitchens, Corey Atkins, and Jay Baxter. They're all Sussex County farmers who have experience with planting green, and I asked them three questions. How did they get started into planting green? What are they using on their operation that works for them? And what advice would they give to someone who is new at it? Being that this was the first time we tried to record a conversation that was outside and sort of on the fly, uh, the recording itself is a little bit uneven, but it was a great conversation, and if you hang in there, I'm sure it's worth it. I also wanted to point out that if you're interested in asking any of these guys questions, um, I'm sure you can contact the Sussex Conservation District, and they will be happy to make that connection. So with that, let's get started. cover crops back when I first started farming for manpower and equipment purposes. Um, as I transitioned into planting green, I realized that we were making multiple passes with a sprayer. We were going to desiccate the cover crop, then coming back and planting it, and then coming back with, uh, say, in corn, uh, our pre-emergent herbicide, where we could eliminate that first pass with the sprayer application if we just planted it green, and then come back with a single pass uh, application to desiccate the cover crop and put down our pre's. Uh, with that, it was buying us some time in weed control because that was still green. The corn was starting to emerge in the cover crop, and so it was already rapidly growing, increasing our weed control. Uh, that's a little bit of how I got into it. Uh, going on with that, we've seen a lot of health benefits from the crop. Uh, you know, adding legumes, clover, vetches to the planting green and getting away from just the straight uh, small grains. We're seeing some nitrogen benefits uh, in those added cover crops as well. So I started planting green kind of by default, by accident. Uh, we, were, we were growing the typical, you know, get your money cover crop and started looking into what can we grow that will actually benefit the farm, not just in the cover crop payment. And so we started looking into legumes and started asking around and nobody in the area was growing such a thing. So started reaching out through the let's say the grassroots farmer network and found a man down in Virginia that had been growing hairy vetch for multiple years. And he'd been growing so much of it that he actually was selling seed at that point in time. So I reached out to him and started talking to him and he's, he's now kind of become a, a bit of a mentor to me. And he said, the, the first year we grew vetch, uh, you know, I wasn't sure what we had when we planted it, his stuff didn't come up. We couldn't see it. And I, I remember I went away, I went away to, on vacation in March. And when I came back six days later, the field was greening up. And I went out there and we could actually see this little, little purple plants that were starting to turn green. And long story short, we had a tremendous crop of vetch. 
And the very first year, it was about waist high. And I, I wasn't sure what in the world are we going to do with this mess. So I, I reached out to my friend down in Virginia and said, what in the world do I do with this mess? He goes, well, sounds to me like you've done a really good job of growing a cover crop. Okay, what are we really going to do with this mess? He goes, well, here's what you need to do. You need to find something to roll that stuff down. He said, whatever you do, do not spray it. So listen to me. Whatever you do, do not spray it. I learned years later, whatever I do, do not spray it. Is it turns into rope. And you ever try to plant through rope, it doesn't work. So we started off that very first year going across the field with a rolling basket, which was the funnest job on the farm because you could go in road gear uh, on a 30-foot wide pass and just knock down a cover crop. But you got to watch out for irrigations and test wells and things like that. That's a good, quick way to tear up equipment. Uh, we'll we'll kind of speed ahead a little bit. And we started looking into ways to, kind of like Corey said, of cutting costs. Well, if we can cut a pass, even if it is a 15-mile-an-hour pass, if we can cut that pass, there's, you know, there's the expense we don't have to deal with. We don't have to worry about... The labor costs, we don't have to worry about bearings going out. We don't have to worry about hitting things and tearing up equipment if we're not out there. So as we started to, to look at what we were doing, um, we designed a planner. In my head, I designed a planner of what would be ideal. And again, this was that grassroots farmer kind of mentality. You, you start asking around and start looking in other states and what can we do? And we designed a planter that would plant through standing cover crop without having to roll it down in uh, multiple years when it, we've been able to prove that with very few um, negative uh, drawbacks to it. Now, I do have some pictures that I don't have with me today of kind of the, well, that didn't work out too well. I think maybe some of you saw a presentation last year and saw some of that, well, that didn't work out too well. but. How many mistakes did you guys make? Right? If you're not making mistakes, you're not doing anything, right? So just because it's a green cover crop, don't, you know, you guys make mistakes all the time. You learn from them and you move on. So don't be scared to death of green cover crop just because it's some kind of paradigm hang up in your head. You, you got to try things, ask around. Um, and I think we'll start talking about planters a little bit later on. So you guys already started touching on the, some of the management strategies that have worked. Um, where are you at in terms of like what has worked the best? Like, Have you come up with a formula that you think um, works the best for your farm, or is there, are there things that you're still tweaking that you want to try? So I'm, we'll go down again. For our operation, um, the best thing that we've found so far with corn is the rye, vetch, and radishes blend. And between them three, we just get awesome cover crop out of it. But you get a lot of nitrogen out of it. You get the, and it's just easy to plant through when you have them three varieties blended together. And on our soybean rotation, we plant strictly rye. We don't, we've not gone to no mixes there yet because 
I'm not really challenging myself to see what I need to do there. I'm trying to figure out one crop at a time, and then once I figure that one out, I'm gonna move to the next one. And that's what's working best on our operation, and that's where we're at today. Well, following kind of like what Blaine said, uh, the vets, rye, vets, any small grains, the radishes in there seem to work pretty well. I have a, a barley, clover, and a radish plot out that we planted corn into on one end of the farm, and it was uh, vetch, straight vetch on the other end of the farm. And we planted corn straight through, so we'll be able to see this year um, if any of that made a difference. Uh, on my soybeans, we like the small grain with some clover in there. Not a lot of clover, but just enough plant green in there. I think we're getting some natural nitrogen from the clover feeding that soybean crop as it needs it and not us trying to duplicate the foliar fertilizer or synthetics when that crop needs uh, nitrogen. There's always room for improvement. That's, that's all I got to say. Every year we're trying something different and we're learning what's not working, we're learning what is working. Um, I'm, I'm the Perry Bench guy, if you guys haven't figured that out already. Um, it started out as being an experiment and um, it's gone as far as in 2019's crop, we planted soybeans into strictly hairy vetch. That was kind of a, a mistake, but it was a mistake because it was a change in what our rotation plans were. And we figured, well, why not? Let's see how it works. So far, so good. Um, we, so here's the species that we do grow. Um, Annual ryegrass, cereal rye. Um, we dabbled in clover. I can't get clover to work right for me. I can't ever seem to get get radishes applied in time to get a good crop out of them unless we have a really late fall. Um, love Perry vetch. We've done the wheats. We've done the barley's. I'm kind of starting to stay away from them. They are very economical but I'm not seeing the return on them uh, as far as the, the mulch aspect of it. And that's kind of what, what these two have been talking about, but I'll take it down a, uh, in a way that I can explain it better. You know, everybody talks about biomass this and biomass that, but let's think of it as kind of like mulch, mulching in your flower beds. The thicker the stuff is, the less stuff you don't want to come up is gonna come up. So. That's, that's kind of the way that I, I visualize it on my farm. Um, again, every year it seems like we, well, let's try this mix and we'll throw this together. And, um, you know, I'll get a, a really good salesman that'll convince me to try something. Why not, why not try this hairy bluegrass corn cob? Okay, we'll try it. Well, that didn't work out too well. Don't bring me any more of that crap. You know, or, you know, ryegrass. Who's scared to death of ryegrass? Couple of you, all right. And rightfully so, right? Because if it gets away from you or you got bad seed or you've got, you know, how, how do you separate, Dr. Van Gessel, how do you separate one ryegrass species from another? Unless you have a DNA marker, you don't. Right, right, so that's kind of the scary thing for everybody, but yeah, you know what, I've had to deal with inherited weed control in the past and it's just one of those things that we kind of learn to overcome. So 
ryegrass I was convinced to try some a couple years ago, and I'd always heard my grandfather say how, how great the stuff was back in the 40s and 50s, which, all right, this is 2018, but I kind of digress here, but we've tried ryegrass, and honestly, it was absolutely beautiful. It was a joy to grow, grow soybeans into, it was a joy to plant into, it was easy to kill, it was easy to control. Um, this year, it looks like it's not economical for me to buy compared to other species. So that's kind of a driver for me as well. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause here and start, and ask if anybody has some questions from the audience that they wanna, they wanna ask. Anybody have anything? Yeah. Um, Jake, with your veggies, uh, do you find a bot that controls the weed, I mean, doesn't it break down Yes. So the question, the question is, um, let me, if I understand correctly, the question is, am, am I having a good enough effect out of, a good enough mulching effect out of hairy vetch as its own single species planted into green? And is, is that kind of, that's, is that the right question? So the, in, in short, yes. So what I'm able to do with my hairy vetch, and sometimes it is vetch blended with rye, cereal rye, but not all the time. What I'm able to do is I'll go through with my planter. I've got a 16 row planter, I'm pulling it with a stagger. So I'm a little bit different than I think most of you guys are in here as far as how we're doing it and why we're doing it. And that's, a, that's just because I'm weird. But, but uh, we'll, we'll plant into it green. For the most part, that crop is just about dead by the time that planter gets pulled through it because of the injury the planter causes to the cover crop. We've got, we've got a really aggressive row cleaner that's, that's able to make that, make that pass um, and, and clean that, that cover crop out of the way of the row unit itself. And like I say, generally speaking, we just about have control of that cover crop just by using the planter and, and all these different wheels that run over top of it. We do have the instance of, I do not, I do not. The only thing special that I'm running is, is a, a specific brand um, of, of row cleaner, nothing else. You don't have a problem with hard seed showing up in small grain? I don't grow small grain. So thank you for that, because that helps clarify a lot of things with a lot of people in here. We don't grow small grain. I don't find it profitable. I'm too busy running irrigations by the time I need to get on a combine and start cutting wheat. The sprayer's usually too busy spraying corn when it needs to be spraying fungicides and insecticides on wheat. I, I, I just, I don't find it economical for our farm. So back to your mulch question. Usually, Every time, I'll say it just about that, 99% of the time, every time we'll come right behind the planter and we will spray something on that cover crop to destroy it. Depending on how fast we follow the planter, kind of depends on what we apply on the cover crop. Usually it's a paraquat, paraquat, product, paraquat product and, and a, a fairly high rate of 2,4-D. That's, that's, that's pretty much our formula. Depending on how good the cover crop species is, depends on whether we put a residual herbicide in or not. If I have a good enough crop 
of Harry Vetch, I've been able to skip the application of a pre-emergent herbicide, period. It's, it's been done. We've, we've recorded it. We've been able to show it. So think about what that first pass of a pre-emergent herbicide cost you. Well, we're able to skip that investment. It's one, you know, we're already making the pass because we do want to destroy that cover crop. We don't want escapes because it's going to, in my opinion, interfere with that corn crop, crop coming up. And even if it doesn't because it's a legume and you could have the theory that it's, you know, part of it is, part of it isn't, well, you might have a shading issue of it. I'm not sure about that, but we want it strictly uniform. Is, is what we're after. We're after a uniform mat across the field. And once that stuff dies off, I can get away with that two to three week window because we are a planned post, we have a planned post application on our current corn herbicides. We skip that first application, we come across planned plan post, no problems. I can take you to an experiment this year on a 30 acre pivot where it has had no residual herbicides on it whatsoever. And it was not hairy vetch. It was strictly, it was strictly whatever grew during the wintertime, whatever winter annual weeds were out there. It had, it had two to three applications, no, excuse me, it had two applications of glyphosate. The first one was a pretty high rate, the second one was the normal application rate. We have, we have literally cut out all potash this year due to the fact we did not need it by our leaf And we've cut back on nitrogen by close to 80 pounds to the acre. And we're still, we don't know yet, hoping to achieve a 240 bushel yield count. And we're going to be at around 150, 60 pounds total of applied in after planting. So, in our operation, we're saving drastically on the no potash and not having the lime, but once every 10 years by rotating these cover crops into our equation. So, for us, it's a money-making event with cover crops. And that's what's driving this force to get these yields back to where we need them by getting the soil back to where it needs to be and not dumping more and more synthetic fertilizers out there that you don't need. It's what we have is in the soil. We just have to get hold of it through the mineralization of all these roots with all these cover crops. And right now, it looks like we're going to achieve that. I don't know because we haven't picked any. So by Christmas, I'll be able to tell you what the true result is. But after last year, it really made me go harder at this because I realized exactly how much we can lose if we over-fertilize and don't get our payback on it. And if we can put less out there and achieve close to the same goals, we're farther ahead when the bad years do come along. So that's my take on that. Any other questions? You guys wanna? Touch on that. I mean, touching on that, I'd say depending on the cover crop, whether it's, you know, vetch or clover, somewhere in that 60 to 80 pounds that we're getting out of the cover crop that we're saving, not having to apply. And that's also going to depend on how well the, 
you know, the stand establishment is and waiting for that cover crop to be ready to plant into it. If you're, you know, pl even planting green into vetch before it's up, you know, gotten all the nitrogen it can produce, you're going to cut yourself short. So waiting until that vetch is starting to blossom to get all the potential out of that vetch is ideal. If you're going in there real early when the vetch is just starting to, to grow in the spring, you're not going to get the benefit from it. You are waiting to plant that, you know, late April, early May. Um, yes, hairy vetch, for instance, we want to see blossoms before we destroy it. And again, a lot of you that like to plant the first of April, well, hairy vetch isn't, isn't going to be your thing. I, I don't know that crimson clover is going to be your thing. Guys, I can't get crimson clover to grow right. That's why I skipped it. Now, whether I'm going to start experimenting with it again because these guys talked me into it or not, I don't know. But more specifically to your question as to what can I reduce by growing cover crops. I've been growing hairy vetch now for... 15 or 16 years since the first year I planted 35 or 40 acres of it. We credited ourselves that very first year 80 units of nitrogen. But I didn't trust it. And I think, you know, Chip and I had this conversation years ago. I didn't trust it, so I treated it like I didn't have it out there. Tremendous crop. Following year, same thing. Uh, I don't know that I've got 80 units of nitrogen. Everybody's telling me, you got 80 units of nitrogen. Well, I can't prove it. Well, come to find out I can prove it by starting to do tissue samples. Well, that's just something that I'm learning to do now in 2019 is pulling tissue samples, and I really wish there was a way to clone myself. But I digress. We are able to credit ourselves 80 units of nitrogen year in and year out from a good stand of hairy vetch. Period. We have seen it. We have actually been able to cut back that number, and our yield goal, irrigated yield goal, is pushing 250. I'll be honest with you guys. I don't waste cover crop on dry land crops unless it's my heaviest ground, which is over near Gumborough. But I don't waste time with dry land crops. There's too many variables. You know, with cover crop, you do have the, well, what if it doesn't rain? I've irrigated in front of the planter just to be able to have a good cover crop and to get the planter in the ground and have seed placement where I want it. And so that's why I want that, that reason. That's, I, I don't put the money out there on my dry land, but I've only got 5% of my acreage is dry land. So the question, the question for the group is, if I threw 80, 80 units of nitrogen out there is what I credit myself, where do I cut that out of the equation on total N for the year? Short answer, I cut it out of side dress because that's what we calculate, that's what we assume, that's what we have figured when it starts to finally release back into the soil is at side dress time. And it's, it is beautiful, it really is beautiful. It, you could see it right side by side the stuff starts to break down and take off. And it's, and it's more what's below the soil than what's above the soil that's breaking down. There was a... How late can I plant into hairy vetch? Oh, how late can you plant the cover crop itself? Guys, I've planted as late as Christmas. Now, I have found that with all these cover crops, the later in the season you get, the different you have to treat how you get it to germinate. So I would say to get it in the ground, but let's say germinate. This early, you can put it on top and irrigate it in. 
Um, this early, you could use an airplane, you could use an air seeder, you could run across it with a, I don't know, a high tractor and a spreader. I, I've done that on soybeans before. Um, as we get later, you know, once we get the crop out of the field, I actually like to run some type of vertical tillage to get it incorporated, get a little bit of seed to soil contact, get it covered up. Now, if I can schedule it just right, you could get that airplane to work or that air seeder to work right in front of the combine. Then when you pick your corn, it covers it up, no problem. Some of the best crop I've had was using an airplane that he actually was putting cover crop seed in the hopper on the combine. That's, that's the timing in which he, he was flying on, and that was just by coincidence. As we get later in the season, I actually plant half of my vetch with a planter. I use a 15 inch or 15 inch planter, and it, it's those of you that, that know me and my family history, I use a white planter. I use a 15 inch row white planter, and I use a sorghum plate. And I'm able to, as I use a planter, I'm able to cut way back on my seeding application. Because by putting it in the ground, simulating it out, I'm able to cut back tremendously on it because I have, let's say in theory, 100% seed to soil contact and 100% of that besides the hard seed germinates and comes up. We, we were so far behind in 2018 planting 2019's cover crop that our plan was to come back in about pea planting time, so the end of February, 1st of March, and start planting cover crops again. And guys, it wouldn't stop raining. You remember that, so it never got done. But I had confidence that it was gonna work enough that I had planned um, my sweet corn acreage and my llama bean acreage was gonna have hairy vetch planted in early spring because I knew that the planting date was late enough that, that I'd be able to have a good enough cover crop, but it, it never happened. Yes. Brad Ritter tried that um, two, three years ago and said it was a fail. Just truth be known. That was in the spring planted cover crop. I don't remember exactly what your details were as to how you did it. Spun it on and then use vertical tillage to get it. Okay. but a third of a crop because it came up in one part of the field and not the other? Okay. I want to say something else. Touching on what he already said, the mentor that he had with the Harry Vetch situation is actually the same mentor I've got, the man from Virginia. And talking with him, we don't get all the benefits of this the first year. It takes up to three years to get all that mineralization done in that soil. So I look at my vet crop just like our chicken wing. If we get 50% this year, we'll get 50% of that 50% next year, and then over time you eventually take it out. And what, what I think I'm seeing, and I really believe it, over time where we keep stacking these things on top of each other, we're still feeding off what we planted three years ago. And that little bit is actually there now in organic form, which is available to the next crop. So 
the acceleration of the mineralization of all this comes over time. It does not happen overnight. And we're getting the instant benefit from the, the cover, the mat on the ground, what we're looking for for weed suppression and water holding moisture and that works. But over time, I was told this year, right from the guys not here, they come down out of Washington, that a single hairy vet crop with Brian could be worth as much as 200 pounds of nitrogen over time, but not in one particular year. It's all according to the biomass of it. And we're going to have them results because they took biomass samples on our farm this year and going to see what they're actually worth. And we'll know that at a later date. But um, on any given year, we plan on, like he said, 80 pounds per acre to supplement like Thank you. So two, two questions. We'll answer the first one. Um, so the first question was, do we inoculate our legume cover crop seed? And no, but thought about it. Do you? No and no. So that's a very, very good question because we have contemplated it, but I'm not seeing, I, I don't, I've never done the experiment side by side to know whether it's something that we should try. So maybe that, that very well could be something. I know that we have a good amount of nodules on our, on our cover crop, and so therefore, I'm not seeing why we should do it, except I've never tried it next, next to side by side. And again, then you get into discussion as to which inoculant's the right inoculant, and it goes a little bit beyond me and the science that I understand, but different inoculants are for different species of, of, of legume because there's different bacteria in the soil that that, that, that legume creates the nodule with. So. Um, that, that much I do remember from the University of Delaware. <laughs> back there in the back. Um, so the second question was, do I have any issues with wrapping on my row cleaners on my planter? Yes and no. So that's kind of back to that original comment about the rope. The very first year when I grew my cover crop, when I grew the hairy vetch and I had to run it down with a, a roller, let's say, a rolling basket, and I planted into it, uh, the very first 50 feet across the field, I had a knot. I was running a 16-row planter. I had um, uh, no-till colders on it. I had row cleaners in front of the no-till colders, and they were just the old spider-type finger things that, that Yetter made at the time. And I had to immediately unbolt every single one of them and take them off. That was, that was the, the answer to it. What we had a problem after that was if you weren't careful, and, and this is why I had to roll down the cover crop because it was so big, that it would wrap around every spinning mechanism on the planter. So every shaft, every transmission, anything that was spinning at a different RPM in which I was traveling was an issue. When I designed this newer planter, it's hydraulic drive, so no more transmissions. It had shields around some of the shafts, and that wasn't really a problem. What we do still see from time to time is the, you know, the six-foot-tall rye. Sometimes that'll be a pain, and you got to go out every, I don't know, 10 acres or so with a knife and cut it off of stuff. But 
not seeing any negative uh, to that because we have changed the style of row cleaner that we use. I don't have a single no-till coulter on my planter. I haven't from day one, and this planter is just finished up its fifth season. Um, I run, um, I run a, a Yetter shark's tooth, all right? So specifically a Yetter shark's tooth. Let me say that again, a Yetter shark's tooth. And now I don't sell, I don't sell planter parts anymore, all right? So I've got no ties to this, but I've had people call me almost wanting to fist fight because they did what I said and everything's wrapping up. And if I was in their presence, it has been said, if I was in their presence, they probably would have wanted to hit me. So I'm glad I wasn't in their presence because we're still really good friends. But come to find out, they weren't using Yetter Shark's Tooth. They were using another manufacturer that was comparable to a Yetter Shark's Tooth. They don't work. Guys, that's all I can tell you. Don't use the old style Yetters that are just the finger with the, the taper thing on it. Um, don't use the other brands because they don't work. They're gonna wrap up and you're gonna wanna fist fight somebody. They just don't work. You gotta have that thing that actually cuts. It's got a treadle wheel on it, so it's spinning at a higher RPM in which you're traveling. So not only is it cutting it, but it's, it's cutting it at a high speed and it's moving it out of the way. Because we get across it in a timely manner, um, the, 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 the cover crop has not started to senesce yet. So we gotta catch it before it starts to senesce. One of the issues I've had in the past, and, and I'm sorry guys, I feel like I just stand up here and talk the whole time. <laughs> One of the issues I've had in the past was it was late in the season and we're still planting corn. The cover crop was planted early and it had a great spring. So it's beyond flowering, it's starting to kind of mend for the year. So we, we actually took a whole bunch of inch and a quarter PVC pipe and laid it across the front of the plant and zip tied it everywhere we could zip tie it. Just allow it to lay it down a little bit in front of those row cleaners and that solved the problem. Guys, sometimes you gotta just think outside the box and come up with something and, and overcome things got to be a little bit of stubborn and I think that's the Baxter ending. We started with like six acres just because I saw him do it and I saw my neighbor do it and I was like you know what we're going to try one field and then the next year you get the heart race you're like we're screwing up but it worked so then the next year we went to more and now we're trying to cover everything we can before time runs out in the fall. So starting small, building confidence, making sure what you're doing with your equipment is acceptable for the cover crop to get it in the ground. Seed to soil contact with your cash crop is all you need because that's what produces in the end. So if you concentrate on planting, with your planter, getting it modified if you have to modify it. As you'll see out here, there's planters out here that are the simplest, most basic planters there is that are planting green cover crop. It doesn't take monstrosities of equipment to do this. It just takes patience and confidence. And when you have them two things, you'll get good results in the end. So 
that's my advice. Start small, don't jump overboard, and you'll see in a couple years you'll want to just transition the whole operation that way. Touching on what Blaine said, I guess for me, uh, try it. Don't take no for an answer. There's a lot of stuff that I've tried. People told me it wasn't going to work, and it has. Um, I started no-tilling lima beans in the green cover crop five years ago. I had anybody from the processor to university personnel tell me that it wasn't going to work, and I'm still doing it. I've made it work. You just have to want it to work um, and, and watch it. But, yeah, start small if you're going to try something new. When I first got into vetch, I tried about 10 acres, and it went from there. Um, I don't want Jay to hit me, but I don't think you need all of what Jay said. I run a Kinsey 3660. The hydraulic drive does help wrapping. I just run the standard Kinsey row cleaners, and I don't have any problem. So uh, I'm going to back away from Jay. His may work better, but I don't have a problem with mine wrapping. So with that, you don't need a lot of fancy equipment. You know, sometimes the basic, just take the time, learn from it. You know, like him, if there's something that's not working, build on it from next year and make a little change. Not every field is going to be the same crop conditions of the vetch or any cover crops not going to be the same from farm to farm. You may have to adjust the row cleaner, speed up, slow down, get out and check and see what you're really doing. Yes, start small. Um, but back to planner setup. So, correct. It's, it's kind of what everybody's been saying. You can, you can do it with your planner. You just might have to take some things off, honestly. A simple planner that has the right depth placement, so whatever you use for down pressure, you might have to increase your down pressure. And if you're running no-till colders, that's fine. So um, my son just walked out. He's back there in the back. James, raise your hand. There, great. <laughs> He's 11. So I put him on an eight-row planter this year in a great big field next to me in another planter, and I said, follow that mark. When you come back this way, follow that mark. And, you know, but it's fine. It's still, he did good. Planting soybeans into green cover crop. So an 11-year-old can do it, right? It, there's no row cleaners on that planter. It's just no-till colders and down pressure. Soybeans came up, it's a beautiful stand, and then, and then the girl did it. Christy, that's my sister back there, raise your hand. Yeah, she's been doing it longer than the 11-year-old has. So there's a joke there about it's so simple a girl can do it, but I, I, know, that's why, I know, that's why I said it's a joke, everybody, all right? A lot of times you're smarter than we are. I know, I know, because they think outside the box, they said, well, why? This, this doesn't make any sense. Why are you making it so complicated, right? So make sure you keep these people in your life that kind of help you just, I, I, no offense to anybody in here, but help you dumb it down a little bit, right? Don't think so much about it. Just, just do it. Now you got to worry about people hitting you on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when Jay, well, I, I just want to, I'm, I'm going to come to that in just a second, because you said something that I really liked um, about how your grandfather was using annual ryegrass in the 40s and 50s, right? And so um, I think sometimes with the soil health, you know, like people kind of figure that it's a, did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, they, 
Okay, the, um, but Soil Health, you know that we're kind of rebranding something that everybody already knew or already did or already had awareness about. And um, so I think one of the things that we're doing that is really pretty neat is you're calling back to something that maybe is the way if you're you know, a multi-generational farmer of the way that your grandfather farmed or your great-grandfather farmed, but not exactly because you know, yields at that time, we've tripled productivity, doubled and tripled productivity since that time. So I think what this is that's really neat is an integration between tools, genetics, you know, a lot of things that are available now and pulling out the best of what worked for a couple of generations ago. Um, and I, I just wanted to call that out specifically because I think that that's a, a pretty neat deal. Um, okay. When um, cover crops are being funded by the university or the NRCSs and they have specific rates they want you to use and you use them, but when you're buying them out of your pocket, and we do do that on some acres. <laughs> you like that, didn't you? We do do that on some acres. We cut them rates because we don't need them. And we're actually this year we're doing work with the university on our farm, checking rates on five, ten, and fifteen pounds of vets to the acres. And we achieved the same biomass on five pounds as we did fifteen. So that was this year. And it may be totally different next year. But this year alone, we had the same biomass on 5, 10, and 15. So looking at it from my standpoint, if I ever have to go buying this, I know what rates I'm going to be able to afford to put on and achieve the same goal and not overpopulate and just waste money for no reason. We, we have learned that over the last four or five years, you have to let these cover crops get to their potential if you want their potential. Now, uh, just like a vet rye blend, you'll still get good, good biomass when it's only this tall. It's still there, but it's just not going to be as effective on the inside of it. The you know that now, so how, you know that now, but like how about the first three you considered? Is that like a, how, how's that going to possibly work we didn't know that then. And that's why these shops are here today, so people can learn from all of our mistakes, <laughs> if they were mistakes, but it's, and that's where the tissue sampling comes into play. And you can learn so much by your tissue sampling of what your plant is lacking, if it's lacking anything. So, yes, getting back to planting early in April, we don't do it just because I don't want to do it. I'd rather wait till the end of April, first of May. You achieve your same goals, your same yields. The ground's warmer. Everything just works better when it's warm. And I like it that way. And I'm not disagreeing. I'm just, you know, I oh, okay. that. It would help me to be able to tell guys in our work. And no, we... And I can understand that a larger farmer would have more optimism on that because you have to start earlier to get more acres covered yada 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 but um with what we're doing i can still plant the 113 15 day varieties the first of may and harvest them the 20th of september and still be fine you guys have mentioned that tissue sample 
can I ask you how often tissue sample? Weekly? Yeah. yeah. Bi-weekly? Because, I mean, if you take a snapshot of that plant that, that day, day. Mm -hmm. and you can pull a sample this week, you're short on something, you're two weeks down the way, it's an excess. Yeah. Whether and so how, how often, to get a handle on it, how often do you? This year, ourselves, we pulled samples every seven days after V3 until Castle, just because we wanted to try to stay in that 4% nitrogen range before Castle, and that's how I manage my nitrogen. And most of our corn stayed within that 4% value up until Castle is what we applied earlier. And I had another farmer that I've become friends with over the year. He told me you have to trick the plant early to get the yield later. So you have to apply a little more up front and forget about it on the beginning because you don't want to go there. Think of it. So go on with that. What I've found in the last three years ago on Fisher's on dry land, rains the key. If you don't have rain yeah. for seven days, you'll see all your numbers go down. You get a rain, all of a sudden they jump back up the next week. And basically got to average it over the Irrigation, I'm sure they're a perfect yes. line all the time. But they are. Dry land, they're jumping and you're just looking at the general trend. Now, you, if I may ask, is this long-term no-till? Long-term Okay. Um, and I want to say one more thing before everybody, when you get up or whatever, there's pictures up here that Debbie put up here that are very interesting. And you just want to look at them before you ever leave today. And you'll see what it actually looks like with corn standing after planting to see what it does. Well, I'll touch back on the planting date. Uh, planting in April versus planting in, in May, a lot of times in early April to late May in those two to three, four weeks, we're not getting a lot of growing degree units, so it's really, you're just covering acres. Like a guy that's planting, you know, April 15th versus May 1st, we've not got a lot of heat in that time of year. You know, May on the same hybrid would be a couple of days difference. I mean, emergence may occur about the same time, so that's not a big difference. Another little analogy is, you know, the guy that qualifies first in the race doesn't always finish first. So just because you're the first one out don't mean that you're going to be the first one to harvest or have the best yield. Um, touching back on the uh, tissue samples on my irrigated, I pull them weekly from just like Blaine from V3 right on the tassel. Maybe even after tassel just to make sure that everything's there. It's kind of too late to make a change, but just to see how long things are happening and when and if they are going backwards. I haven't done yet, no. Stalk nitrate tests, we have done them. Done them. Um, I, I, well, the stalk nitrate test tells me I've done a good job. But, you know, I, I don't know that there's validity to it. So, um, so to the question, I, I'm always running behind. I mean, I showed up late today. So I'm always running behind, and I found that, you know, if I set a goal however many acres a day, if I drink enough caffeine, I can get across that many acres a day. Um, sometimes it, it impacts my family life with four kids, but, you know, sometimes you just got to stop and go home and see your kids for bedtime and kiss your wife goodbye and go drink some more coffee and go back planting. Um, I have specifically changed some certain things. 
But again, I was never one of those ones that tried to plant the end of March. I've got, I've got neighbors, we all hear of the guy that tries to plant the end of March because he wants to. Um, I've got comments there, but they're not professional. I'll just keep them in the back of my mind. Um, the very first year I did the cover crop thing that we're talking about, the Harry Vetch thing, that was the last field I planted, and it was pushing, it was pushing the end of, end of May. Guys, it's on a regular basis now that I'm planting corn the 1st of June. I think the last four or five years I've planted corn on Memorial Day, that we've had a Memorial Day barbecue in the field. So that's kind of just the, the way that we've transitioned the farm and it's just a way of life now because we're seeing, you know, my grandfather used to always say, if you can, if you can sit your bare butt down on the soil, I think he called it dirt. If you could sit your bare butt down on the dirt and it's not cold, it's time to plant. So how many times do we do that in, on the 5th of April? Very seldom. I think that in, in, in my time of, of the guy running the planter, the guy in charge of running the planter, so that's been 15 years or more, the earliest I've ever planted corn for myself is the 10th or 12th of April. And, you know, that was an extremely warm spring. And how many times do we plant that early time? And then you see your corn start to turn purple, start to turn yellow, start to get stunted. You know, you go out there and you dig up some roots and they're, they're really unhappy. You know, so what are we doing to ourselves by trying to get it out early as opposed to like Blaine says, you, I think you said, never have a bad day. Well, what are the chances of your corn having a bad day in, in early April versus early May? How many, how many four-row planters do we have in the room? Not to put everybody on the spot. One. Is that, is that the blue shirt four-row planter or is that a personal four-row planter? Blue shirt four-row planter, right? Well, that doesn't count. Um, how many six-row planters do we have in the room? All right. How many eight-row planters do we have in the room? Uh, Christy, put up an eight-row, yep. Um, how many 12-row planters we have in the room? How many 16-row planters we have in the room? All right, these hands aren't going up. How many 24-row planters we have in the room? Who didn't put your hand up? All right, well, that didn't answer any of my questions because you guys didn't put your hands up. But I'm going to say that we have learned to become very um, efficient at planting corn, right? You know, they tell us out in the Midwest they can plant a thousand acres in a couple days. And I don't know why I can't. I can't seem to make that work out. But um, my point is we've become very efficient. Why do we need to start so early? I don't know. They used to tell me it, it, when I was in college that any time after, I think it was the 15th of May, we started to decrease yield. I'm not seeing it. I'll be honest with you, but that was technology of the last generation, guys. I'm 38 years old. They were teaching me this stuff 20 years ago, 18 years ago, and that was old technology then, and we didn't know any better. Again, I think we need to start challenging. Let's start learning about this. How about we start learning for the next generation?
That's my challenge to the University of Delaware's out there. That's, that's, that's my challenge to anybody doing these scientific experiments. What we need, we need to, to learn stuff for the next generation because in 10 years' time, they're going to be doing it. Everybody get that? Right? That, that's, that, that, that answers it all, in my opinion. All right, so what he said was the, the, the latest technology is telling us that we need to plant soybeans first. We need to plant soybeans the 15th of April. Let the corn wait. Get your soybeans planted, then plant the corn. He's got a theory. He's got a point. We're seeing it in yield. I don't have the time management to do it right yet, but I'm working on it. I don't, all right, so the question was me planting soybeans behind straight veg and, and referred to it as a mistake. It was a mistake because if I'd have thought better, I wouldn't have, let's say, wasted the price of the cover crop seed on soybeans. I would have put it on a different crop. Yeah, so, so I don't know that it was a mistake. It was a very good cover crop. Um, I had to manage things a little bit different because of my timing, which um, I, I, I could go on for hours, guys. But we can talk about that because it reminded me of something that I kind of have now going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. Um, I don't know necessarily it was a mistake. Uh, I'm, I, I, I would have liked to do an experiment to, see, uh, to do a check in the field to see whether the soybeans responded from the nitrogen from legume or not. Um, I, I, had, I had some guys from the university out there to, to do this experiment, but then I screwed it up because of my planting date. It got hot and dry just like that. I parked the planter to go run irrigations. I didn't get back on the planter for two weeks. And it was right at that part of the field. And so that kind of, like I said, that kind of messed up the whole experiment of it. But I still think we'll have an idea as to what the yield differences could possibly be out there. I don't know that it was a mistake. I just would not have liked to have put a legume, strictly only a legume, on a crop that doesn't require as much nitrogen. So, so and and check the birds on a soybean, do you have nodules? Yes, we do. You do? Mm -hmm. We do. Um, we do know that as we get above 80 bushels of the acre of soybeans, you've got to start adding nitrogen to them. And honestly, I planted too late to get 80 units of uh, 80 bushels of the acre soybeans unless they're going to surprise me. I guess I'll just go with one thing that I like to tell everybody that I'm farming for 20 years from now, not 20 years ago. So try to forward think of like what's going to be the thing that's going on 20 years from now, not doing what you know maybe Jay's grandfather or father did 20 years ago. Very good point. Um, work. We get we get paid to be up here to answer your questions. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, we're, we're here because we're willing to take your questions, so ask us. Um, I'll, I'll give you Blaine's phone number. You can call him at 3 o'clock in the morning and wake him up and ask him questions. And I'll probably answer.
I just want to thank our three farmers again, Blaine Hitchens, Corey Atkins, and Jay Baxter for talking about planting green and sharing their experiences. I also wanted to make sure that I thank the Delaware Soil Health Partnership for letting us record the conversation and also the Maryland Soybean Board for supporting this episode. Until next time, guys.